On episode 33 of DevTalk, I speak to René Schulte about extending reality with technology. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is René Schulte. René is a HoloLens expert from Germany, and I'm very happy to have him on the show. Hello, René. Hey, Kerry. How's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I'm doing great. We were to meet this week in Seattle, and we did not meet this week in Seattle because uh, of the the coronavirus and the circumstances surrounding everything. Um, so uh, you, we just finished the summit. Did you have, have fun at the first virtual Microsoft MVP summit? Yeah, that was was great. I mean, like you said, you know, considering the circumstances and the short time the team had to actually pull the full virtual summit together and, you know, change session schedules and all of that, it was really great from that standpoint. But of course, we all know that, you know, meeting the people and meeting your friends and Microsoft folks in Seattle personally and networking, that's the real big benefit of the MVP Summit. So, of course, I'm looking much, much forward to next year. But anyway, like I said, it was it's great considering what we all uh, are, um, you know, about to see at the moment, uh, which also means that, you know, I know you and I, we're at home both. I try to do my best, but we both have kids that might lead to some background noise. But hey, yeah. we're all in this together, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, the MVP summit is, is for, to me, it's all about the hallway tracks and and meeting people and 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 getting to know people. And and I didn't meet any new people this year uh, virtually. I, yeah. So it, it's a bit of a disappointment, but we'll make the best of it. But it it doesn't have any impact on this format except for the background noise, maybe because um, for the last like twenty recordings, it's all been completely remote and uh, from from my home. So it's uh, it's all, everything's the same here. So uh, you are foc- from what I've seen. You're working at Valorum, and you're focusing on mixed reality solutions. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah. So yeah, my name is Rene. I'm director of global innovation and research and incubation at Valorum Reply, and uh, the company is digital transformation company. Pretty much focused on the Microsoft stack ranging from the backend to the front end, like, you know, backend Azure, over, then over Power BI, data analytics, all of that. Uh, we also do digital strategy consulting. And then to the front, side, uh, front end side of the house, like, um, you know, uh, things like, of course, classic applications, web apps, and then also applications which we call immersive or spatial computing applications. And we have been working with the HoloLens uh, since 2015, before it was even public, uh, we were part of the first uh, wave of the HoloLens agency program, which is now called the Microsoft Mixed Reality Partner Program. And yeah, since then, we developed many applications. And my focus is really in the company is like looking into new topics, you know, trying to incubate them, researching them and, you know, creating either, a, you know, good consulting offerings and, you know, basically doing fun stuff whole day. And that's really amazing. And, um, you know, like I said, I've been doing actually AR and VR, which we can also talk about a little bit more um, since probably more than 10 years. Um, you know, since we're a .NET podcast, it might be an interesting anecdote here. Um, I did uh, the first port of the Silverlight. Uh, I did the first port of the AR toolkit, which is a famous um, AR Marco-based toolkit where you use these kind of QR codes, these re- black rectangles to actually mm-hmm. use augmented reality. Um, that was back in the days, and that was around 10 years, where I ported it to Silverlight. I don't know if anyone of your listeners here remembers Silverlight, but yeah, I did some I'm work sure. there, of course, all, 
already with computer vision and you know AR and you know it all came naturally when we then had the Hololens and all these amazing AR and VR devices we use these days and it's a, it's a great time like I say to be alive you know seeing science fiction technology becoming reality these days it's it's really amazing and yeah so I'm an MVP as well uh, for mixed reality or actually it's Windows development. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, also I'm a regional director, which is another program that Microsoft has. It's a little bit smaller group than the MVP program and also has a little bit of business focus. So not just purely technical, but also a little bit business focus with the RD program, the regional director program. And so I do a lot of uh, conference talks all across the globe, which, well, at the moment are either canceled or shifted. Some turn virtual, but most of them are just canceled, shifted to later this year. So cross our fingers that they will happen later this year. And so I do a lot of conference talk. I have some open source projects and also in general, a lot of uh, sharing on social media like Twitter or LinkedIn and so on. I do a, a lot of these concepts and a lot of um, you know experiments, which I constantly share like little video clips and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, so that's my community contribution, if you will, um, you know, doing... Uh, lots of knowledge sharing, as most of the MVPs do. Um, that's basically what I'm doing. I'm also um, 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 advisory board of the VR AR Association. So I'm a global advisor for them. It's basically an independent organization in the virtual and augmented reality uh, industry that tries to foster collaboration there. And I'm also advising the XR Bootcamp, which is a, a really nice you know, initiative to basically get your typical, uh, you know, developers and designers that have never worked with AR and VR to upskill them, basically, to get them the knowledge they would need to work with AR and VR or the umbrella term XR, which I think we should, all of these terminology, we should clarify for a little bit because there's so yeah. much terminology floating around, right? Yeah, I heard a couple of new terms. You talked about spatial computing. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So maybe we step back for a moment and talk about what basically, or maybe hopefully everyone knows, it's augmented reality and virtual reality. And so mm-hmm. let's clarify these terms and then we we step a little bit further and explain the umbrella terms. So virtual reality, first of all, is a full virtual solution. So you put on these virtual reality headsets and then you're fully immersed into a virtual world, which means you don't see the outside world anymore. You're fully inside a virtual world. And typically these days, they also have spatial sound. So you have two speakers and you can hear 3D sound. Basically, you can when you hear a sound snippet somewhere in the virtual world, you know where it's coming from. Your brain can um, process that and then you actually can look into that direction. So that's spatial sound. Um, mm-hmm. Then we, we also have even more immersive. We have these haptic gloves where you get feedback when you touch a virtual object. The glove has a little motor or something, gives you a little bit of haptic feedback. So virtual world is trying to you know emulate the real world, but you're completely in a virtual setting. And the more sensories a human has you support, like audio, haptic feedback, and so on, the more, more immersive it will feel, right? But the main yeah. difference to augmented reality is with augmented reality, you still see the real world around you. And you, the augmented reality is just augmenting the real world with small virtual objects. And so that's really the main difference between VR and AR. VR, fully immersed, fully virtual, and AR, just you know, small objects positioned in the real world. And there are different devices, especially for AR. Since most of AR these days is running on mobile phone devices or, you know, tablets and so on. And, you know, the big players in the game like Google and Apple, they have their own SDKs for um, Android. It's AR Core and for iOS, it's AR Kit. And they provide you a really nice um, 
you know, already surface reconstruction. So they can see, for example, uh, what is the real world floor, right? Or what is the real world table? And they can see this is a flat surface. And so then you can use that as a developer to position virtual objects on top of that real world objects, right? And they have hardware support for this kind of stuff, right? Right. So for ARKit and ARCore, um, it doesn't work on all devices. I mean, if you bought a device in the last two years, it's or last three years even, it's very likely they support ARKit or AR Core. So pretty mm -hmm. much all modern devices support it. Because like you said, they need some kind of hardware support. And most importantly, it's about the calibration. Because as you can imagine, what they do is they you know analyze the camera data in real time to actually figure out, okay, where is this flat surface? Where is, you know... Uh, a floor and so on. And what, what it's using is, a, is an algorithm uh, group called SLAM, Simultaneous Localization and Mapping. And that runs in real time pretty much. And on the phones, it uses the camera data, but it also uses the uh, inertial sensors and so on. So for example, if you move your phone too fast and the camera frames are blurred, it, it, it still needs to keep track, right? It still cannot mm -hmm. lose tracking. And for these short amounts of time, it uses the um, the accelerator or gyro and the other sensors a phone has. And that needs to be very, very well calibrated in order to have a stable uh, solution and not too much error. Because if you have too much error, it will add up and then all of that stuff will just jitter and it won't stay where you placed it. So, for example, if you look into um, an AR app or, for example, Minecraft Earth is one. Uh, we should also talk about what Minecraft Earth is actually doing under the hood. But basically... Mm -hmm. Uh, what you can do is you can position a real-world object on, uh, sorry, a virtual object on top of the real world, and that needs to be constantly analyzed, right? And so that is AR when we talk about mobile phone form factors, but then you also have other devices, like, for example, a HoloLens, which is a so-called HMD, a head-mounted device. Um, and when you put it on, you have um, not just... Um, you don't see the real world through the camera lens on your phone display, but you see it with your own eyes. Because the HoloLens, for example, has these semi-transparent displays. And with these, you can still see the real world around you. And these displays then show you virtual objects, so-called holograms, if you will, on top of the real world at the right position. So that's the, the, the one big benefit of uh, head-mounted devices compared to mobile phone devices, where you just see it on a, on a screen, right? Uh, you see it the yeah. real world with your own eyes. And the, the other really big benefit is, of course, there's no latency, right? If I look into a mobile phone, like I mentioned, they use the camera data, need to process that, and then you see it on the screen, right? And so you have this kind of latency. I've tried both the HoloLens and the HoloLens 2, yeah. and uh, it, it, it is so impressive to see a, a, your real world, and then there's this object you placed into this real world, like sitting on your table, and it, it is so... You, you can move around it and you you wiggle your head and it just stays in place and that's you know they have all the hardware to to recognize where your head is or where where everything is and they, they scan the environment it is it is I, just fascinating to see how, how it, it, if, if that even moved like uh, an inch to each side every time you moved your head it, it would not be an, a good experience but it, they've done such a good job exactly and uh, the hololens, so let's we can talk about that. What do you mean is the tracking basically, and the tracking yeah. is is really well done with the Hololens. First of all, it has a few more sensors, right? It has a few more sensors. Uh, the Hololens one and the Hololens two are pretty similar. There, they have four little cameras, two uh, to the left side and two to the right side, and they mm -hmm. constantly analyze the scene and run these SLAM algorithms. 
Uh, but the big benefit of the HoloLens, like you mentioned, it has special hardware. And so they have a thing called HPU, the holographic processing unit, fancy name for basically an accelerator chip. And that accelerator chip has built into the silicon these SLAM algorithms. So they run really, really fast and they run in real time. And so that's why that you get this super stable tracking, because first of all, they have like more sensors for cameras to do the tracking, and then they run the SLAM algorithm on dedicated hardware and dedicated silicon. And that's mm -hmm. really one of the big benefits. The HPU does also a few other things, not just uh, for the tracking, but also, you know, speech input recognition. Basically, it's an, it's an AI accelerator chip. It runs uh, deep neural networks and so on, you know, dedicated on an on an accelerator chip. So that's and and you, as you know, it's optimized for these certain operations. So it runs it very fast, right? But let's get yeah. back for a moment to um, the other difference between AR and MR and mixed reality. So we talk about virtual reality, um, augmented reality, like I mentioned on the phone, but could also be head-mounted devices like a Hololens. And then Microsoft calls all of that mixed reality. MR. And that's actually great because what I see here is a vision because mixed reality is in fact a spectrum. And that was defined in a scientific paper more than 20 years ago by Milgram and Cushino. They defined the mixed reality spectrum. And in one side, on the left side of the spectrum, you have augmented reality. And on the right side, you have virtual reality, right? And so in the mixed reality spectrum, the, the vision is you can move between those, right? And what I see here as a vision, and you know, there was no announcement that something like that will happen happen but that's what i you know see and that's why i think mixed reality is a great terminology um that you can basically dynamically switch think about you wear a hololens and you you're in this augmented reality mode if you will by default but why not actually shut off the visor right make it dark make it black and then you're fully you don't see the outside world anymore and then you're fully into virtual reality world right mm -hmm. well, we have solutions for the hololens already these days um for the hololens one that was a great one also works on the hololens two which is called robo rate for example where they basically transform your room into a whole different setting. So your real world walls crack open and some robots come out of that you need to shoot and stuff like that. And so they basically transform the real world you're in into a whole world different setting. So it's actually like it's still augmented reality, but it's moving a little bit more on the spectrum to the virtual side. Because, you know, your real world is transformed a little bit more and you can replace the textures on the wall and so on, right? Different wallpapers for real and that kind yeah. of stuff. And so that's mixed reality um, as Microsoft defines it. Um, and then you have this other terminology, which you might hear sometimes. It's XR, extended reality. It's basically just an umbrella term for AR and VR, again. Mm -hmm. And then this other term is spatial computing. And I really like this one, and I keep on using that in my talks these days, uh, because it defines a more broader spectrum uh, of devices that can spatially sense the real world around us. And that could not just be a mobile phone or a HoloLens, but it could also be a Microsoft Connect, for example, an Azure Connect that has this depth camera and that can sense the real world, right? It can understand depth. It can understand the, the real world structure and so on, of course, with the dedicated algorithms that you need to apply. But, mm -hmm. you know, have all these devices that can spatially sense the real world. And if you think about the history in the, in the 90s or maybe the end of the 80s, uh, personal computing really took off, right? Like many people got a PC, started personal computing at home. And then in the 2000s, especially in 2007, when the iPhone came out with multi-touch, um, you know, it all shifted to mobile computing. And as you know, most people these days, especially the younger people, they use uh, mobile phones as the main computing platform. So we had personal computing, then we have mobile computing, 
And the next wave will be spatial computing, where we have devices, and some of those are, of course, already mobile computing devices that can sense the real world, that can spatially understand the real world around us, and then can position objects into that. And another really uh, interesting technology that is evolving in that space is um, the augmented reality cloud and the AR cloud. Um, we should also talk about that a little. Okay. But when you say uh, this is the next generation, how, how far away are we from having this in every like on everybody's head or in everybody's hands because like mobile computing is, is everywhere and i don't see this or or let's say say the hololens has been around for a while but even the hololens 2 is seems to be aimed at uh, corporate usages and do you see that moving towards the consumer side and to everybody having such such a device yeah well it will still be a little while until um this one might be in the hand of consumers. Um, if you look at the HoloLens um, from the price point, the HoloLens 2 is three and a half thousand dollars or euro. Mm -hmm. And so it's still pretty expensive. But then again, if you look at the latest iPhones or Samsung devices, they are also over a thousand dollars easily or 1,500, yeah. something like that. So, you know, maybe they're moving a little bit, you know, from one side to the other side. But anyway, they're converging, yeah. <laughs> converging. Um, so that will make a big difference when the price is a little bit lower. Um, but of course, mainly it's the form factor, right? It's like, it's still quite large and you can wear it for a long time now with the HoloLens 2. They did a great job improving the ergonomics. They basically say it's three times more ergonomic than the HoloLens 1, um, whatever that means. But actually, it means one very special thing. Uh, basically, what it says is if you could wear the HoloLens 1 for, let's say, 15 minutes or 30 minutes, uh, then you can wear the whole lens three times longer, like, you know, one and a half hour, for example. And they actually did user studies to figure that out. And that's definitely the case, because if you wear the whole lens too, it's much more balanced. The weight is more balanced. You have the batteries and a lot of computing is on the back now and not, and not everything's on the front. And so you have it way more balanced. And so when you put it on, it's also much easier. And uh, that's one of the, the big benefits, of course. But again, it's the form factor. It needs to shrink. That will take uh, a few more years, I guess. And it's hard to, to, give a, to give a number, but you already see other uh, competitors on the market like Unreal and some other uh, folks that produce these very lightweight, uh, smaller, uh, that almost look like sunglasses, still a little bit bigger, but not that much. Um, but of course, they don't have the super dedicated, like hardware accelerated slam tracking. And, you know, the displays are a little bit uh, less sophisticated, like a HoloLens. You know, HoloLens uses these laser MEMS and waveguide displays. The Unreal, mm -hmm. for example, uses also some waveguide technique, but basically it's Pepper's Ghost, where you have a display at the top, two small LED displays, and then they're reprojecting it through a mirror, through the semi-transparent lens. And that's what Unreal does. And so they can, of course, produce it much cheaper and also smaller, uh, but it's not as a great experience as you would get with a whole lens. Same if you look into a Google Glass or something like that, right? You have this very small heads-up display and not your fully immersive solution where you get stereo 3D in a very nice way with real-time tracking and so on. Um, until we get that, I... I think it will happen in this decade, but when that is, it's it's too uh, soon to say. But yeah, a few more iterations, I think. Yeah, again at the the MVP summit two years ago, uh, that was the first time I saw people wearing the Hololens, the, the Hololens one back then, for like the, the whole duration of a, a session. <laughs> They're sitting in the room with this this thing on their head, and I, I thought, oh, that it gets uncomfortable after a while, or it hurts your nose. 
yeah, they've made improvements, but it, to me, it has to be the like glasses form factor. So I, I wear glasses in real life, and if those glasses could help me uh, better understand what's around me, that would really help. Yeah, yeah, and it, like you know, especially when it comes, and that might be a good uh, time to talk about the AR cloud. Because um, mm -hmm. that is a, a key technology to also enable that for the broader consumer market. Um, but to be clear, the HoloLens 2 is gaining a lot of traction and a lot of people actually want it. And um, I know many companies here in Germany or in the US and so on, like big manufacturing companies, they just buy a lot of these devices because they see the big benefit like in, you know, uh, enterprise or you know, these kind of business scenarios, for example, if you have folks working on site, they can use remote assist and so on, and that's saving a lot of money. So for them, mm -hmm. it's, it's not a problem to make that investment because um, they see the, the big value, uh, the business value there that they can save money in the end. And also, you know, the form factor is like, as long as you're not wearing it the whole day, it's fine, right? And you can work for hours. The whole lens too is just fine. Uh, but, yeah. but the AR cloud, what is this? What is that? And how, how is that related to spatial computing? Well, you know, the AR cloud is also this kind of uh, terminology that is evolving in our industry right now. And it stands for, as you can imagine, for augmented reality cloud. And basically what it means is we get a digital copy or a digital twin of our physical world, right? And so, like I mentioned, we have these SLAM algorithms that run locally on each of these devices. And so the devices know where the real world is around them. So you can position AR content on top of that. And now mm -hmm. imagine you take all these siloed, you know, scans of the environment, this SLAM data, and from all these different devices and merge them together and then upload them and store them in the cloud. And that's the benefit because then we don't just have, you know, your own sense of view, but the sense of view of everyone else that participates. And so we get this digital twin, this digital copy of our physical world. And that's great because we can use that for 3D visualizations. But even better it is actually that we can use it for positioning virtual objects in the real world but not just positioning there temporarily, but actually persisting them there. And we can also enable these cross-platform shared scenarios, right? And so that's what you can do with the AR cloud. And there are a bunch of uh, companies working in this space, like some startups like 60AI or Visualix from Berlin. Um, I recently tested their SDK. And then, of course, the big players like Google with Google Cloud Anchors. Um, but the Google Cloud anchors, they only live for 24 hours. After that, they are deleted. And the only really, really working solution at the moment is from Microsoft, in fact. And it's called Azure Spatial Anchors. And what it does is it leverages this, what I meant, right? You have all these data from the different devices that scan the real world around you. And then you can use that to position virtual content in the real world. And then we can have these shared experiences. Like, for example, I have an Android here and a HoloLens, and then you might have an iPhone, and we could all see the same content synchronized at the exact same location in the real world, right? With the exact same position, exact same orientation, or in general, this is called pose, right? They, they share the same pose because they all have this synchronized data up in the cloud. And the second benefit beside these shared cross-platform scenarios is the persistence. Because I can persist these anchors. I can have them there and stay there in the real world. And so I can come back at a later time or a friend of mine or colleague can come back at a later time and scan that you know, position 
uh, scanned that real-world location, basically, with his phone for a few minutes. Uh, sorry, a few minutes, a few seconds. And then it will relocalize. It will find, okay, someone positioned an anchor there. And then you can see the content someone else left there. And that is purely based on computer vision. There's no GPS or anything involved. You could, of course, use GPS for getting a, a, like a more a coarse filtering, right? For example, mm-hmm. I say, okay, I use my GPS coordinates or Wi-Fi fingerprinting or things like that or Bluetooth beacons, that kind of stuff. I could use it as an initial coarse relocalization. So I could say, okay, I'm in this location. Give me all the spatial anchors that are around me for in a hundred meter distance or something like that. And then you have a set of anchor IDs which you can then pass on to the API of Azure Spatial Anchors. And then again, like I said, you need to move your phone or your whole lens a little bit, just a few seconds, and then it will real find these, these so-called feature points um, that you know someone else uploaded before, and then it will relocalize the position and the location. And then you can see the, the content at the exact same position. And that is really amazing because like if we're talking about these devices, uh, you know, becoming more consumer friendly, like what are the experiences, right? And so there's a ton of these experiences. And I do a lot of talks about Azure Spatial Anchors in AR Cloud these days and show a lot of concepts and scenarios there. And there are really good ones for enterprise, but also uh, for the consumers as well. There's a ton of stuff that can be enabled with that. And it's a key piece for having consumer readiness. And wh- why are they doing it visually? Is that because of the, the accuracy of other positioning? Um, well, me- measurements is not that there yet? or Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's much more precise. So if we're talking mm-hmm. about uh, GPS, you, we're talking about meter range position, right? And yeah. similar with Wi-Fi fingerprinting, right? If you have three different Wi-Fi hotspots and then you do triangulation and so on, it will never be very precise. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're using computer vision, and that's what they're doing, SLAM, the SLAM algorithms are, are computer vision algorithms in the end. And if you do that and have a, like, and that's why all these things come together because we have these nicely calibrated devices that support AOKit and AOCore, HoloLens. And so they are very precisely calibrated already. And so you can get centimeter range precision with that technology using computer vision. And that's the real big benefit, right? Uh, what we also should keep in mind is the privacy. Because like I said, all the big players are working on that. And Facebook is also working on an AI cloud solution called Facebook Live Maps. And um, that's when I think about it, okay, I mean, what's the business model of Google and Facebook, right? And uh, like I said, you know, all the people running around with their phones or HoloLens and scanning the real world and, you know, all these camera frames and all these data is uploaded, what happens there, you know? And so that's sometimes some things to consider what you do with that data. Uh, mm-hmm. But to reassure uh, what Microsoft does with Azure Spatial Anchors is super clever. And as you know, Microsoft pays a lot of attention to privacy and security. And what they do is a little bit different. Uh, what Azure Spatial Anchors does when it runs on the device, it, of course, fetches the camera frames on the device, right? But all these data, the, the camera frames are then analyzed on the device. And what is extracted from these camera frames are so-called feature points. These are distinctive points in the real world. Think about it like a set of IDs, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. You have certain contrast elements in the real world, and that has a lot of feature points, right? If you have some kind of patterns and so on, they are very good for getting feature points. If you have just a plain white wall 
or some reflective surface, of course, that's terrible for getting feature points, right? But yep. getting these feature points is really depending on that contrast. So, and, and only these feature points are extracted on the device from the camera frames. So no camera frame leaves the device. What is actually uploaded into the cloud for Azure Spatial Anchors is a set of these feature points for each anchor. And then even better, in the cloud, what they store in Azure Spatial Anchors is not even this feature point set. What they store is a so-called spatial hash. That's like you probably every one of your listeners know what a hash is. So, but think about a spatial aware hash where you can compute the distance in, in the, you know, with vector algebra and so on. And so basically that's what's being stored in the cloud. So it's all secure and there's no way to get a real world location or get a, a real world 3D scan from the data that is actually stored in the cloud. And that is what Microsoft does, right? So I'm working with that stuff. I know the team pretty well and I trust what they're doing is really aligning with these kind of uh, policies. Um, if you look into the other big players and other companies, you always need to be careful there. Um, so that's just one one note here, really, because you know there's a lot of camera data floating around. Yeah, but with the hash, how does it work? So you that mean, that would mean a second person who would come to that position would have to uh, basically come up with the same hash for what they are seeing. But what they are seeing is not exactly what that other device was seeing, right? That's a very good question, and that's exactly what it does. Is like the um, it you know, for example, you created that anchor, right, and it uploaded mm -hmm. the set of feature points, stored the spatial hash in the cloud. Now I come with my device, scan a little bit around there, and then it computes a little bit different set of feature points. It won't be exactly the same, like you said, and, yeah. and then it will upload that, and then it will basically compute the distance between them. And if that's small enough, between in a you know in a certain probability threshold. Then it will say, okay, I found that position and I'll find that I found that location, right? They're basically the spatial hash is not like a hash value where it's exactly the same, but it's it's a diff distance basically between the two. When then you can use the distance, and if the distance is small enough, then uh, you can assume that it's exactly the same location. And what they actually do is super clever. In fact, uh, when someone comes back and does the relocalization the, and upload that feature point set and it found that anchor someone else dropped there, that actually the anchor that was dropped there is also being updated to contain a little bit more feature points. And so, you know, the more often you actually relocalize it, the better the anchor actually gets. And that's super small, actually, considering that. And of course, it all has limitations in the end, right? If I, for example, um, you know, do it here in my room and then, you know, I, I place an anchor here and then I, you know, clear out all the stuff and have an empty room, of course, it won't relocalize, right? Because it doesn't find the, the feature points. It's it's so different. The room changed totally. It's, of course, not going to work. But small changes are fine, right? If I just move some objects, it's totally fine. And I made some tests last year at the MVP Summit, in fact, um, in Seattle at the Pike Place Market, which is a super busy area. And I created an anchor there. And then a few days later, I went back and it actually relocalized it. And even though people were walking around and you, you know, when I created the anchor, it was raining. So the floor pattern was a little bit different, was wet. And then mm -hmm. when I came back, it dried up. So the floor pattern was a little bit different. And But it still was able to relocalize. And that's really what Microsoft with the ASA stuff nailed perfectly, which is of course a, a really big challenge in general to actually get this right. And so super small PhD level folks working on that. Um, yeah, and Microsoft employs 
you know, a bunch of the experts and pioneers of SLAM, like Mark Polyface, for example, a professor at ETH Zurich. They do a lot of work on the spatial anchor stuff actually there. And so, you know, that's the kind of level of skills and people you actually need to pull this off. Yeah, well, that reminds me of what you mentioned before, Minecraft Earth. I haven't played it before, but it, it sounds a bit like it's something similar. Yeah, and so Minecraft Earth is the, uh, well, we all know Minecraft, right? It's the augmented reality version of Minecraft. And um, some people compare it with Pokemon Go, but that comparison is not really right. Because what Pokemon Go does, they use GPS. So you get, you know, a course GPS location, uh, but Pokemon Go doesn't support like these multiplayer shared AR experience, right? You can have this kind mm -hmm. of AR mode, but it's not exactly at the position where you are, right? It's just like somewhere in front of you in a course location. Yeah. And what, what Minecraft Earth on the other side does, they're actually using Azure Spatial Anchors under the hood. And what you can do is you can play these little Minecraft adventures together in a shared experience. And the other day, I just played it with uh, one of my oldest daughters, and uh, she was using her phone, and I was using my phone, and we could see both the same Minecraft Earth adventure at the exact same position in the real world. And we could mm -hmm. play it together. We had this nice shared experience. And that's what you can do with more precise uh, data, right? And that's what uh, Minecraft Earth is using under the hood. They're using Azure Spatial Anchors for these kind of shared cross-platform experiences. And then also think about persisting these kind of adventures, these little Minecraft worlds or, you know, big blocks or whatever you want to build. You can persist them in the real world. And then you tell your friend, okay, go to this location. I left something there for you or in the app or in the game, you can actually see that. And so, you know, other people could then experience what you left and it's at the exact same position in a centimeter range. That's really cool, yeah. So wh where do you see this heading? Yeah, I mean, spatial computing, big potential for sure. I see it with our clients we're working with. So of course we're doing mainly, um, you know, enterprise and, and business scenarios with our clients, not so much consumer scenarios, a little bit maybe. Um, but, you know, of course the first, that will adopt this technology and that sees the most business value is the enterprise field at the moment. Um, think about uh, an example with uh, what I what I show often and it's one of my favorite one uh, concepts there is think about a factory. There is a factory that produces goods, whatever that is. And you have a machine that is failing. And as gentleman or lady in the control room is observing that machine failure. And what they do now is they maybe see on the control panel a blinking LED or, or you know, on a computer screen or whatever, and they see that there's a machine failing. What they need to do now is they need to look through control room panels like search. Okay, what is that sensor? Where is the machine failing? They maybe need to find like real books or blueprints and, you know, figure out how to repair it. Now imagine if we would empower them with these modern technology with spatial computing that take a HoloLens or maybe a mobile phone and hold it up in front of the panel and it automatically recognizes with object recognition what kind of machine failure that is and what machine is actually failing. Then using that data to actually pull down dynamically wayfinding information and then you know it can actually guide them the way with augmented reality overlays, like little arrows on the floor or something to the machine yeah. that is failing. And so they get there much faster. And then on the machine, what we can also do is uh, we can show them the training instructions. We can show them real world overlays because we have this reference location, right? We have an anchor position there as well. And so we know the exact position and location. And so we can show real overlays, augmented reality overlays on the real physical object. 
And so that we can show them repair instructions, for example, right? And so it, yeah. it can it can happen much much faster, and that can save minutes. And even if it's just saving seconds, uh, that can you know save a uh, hundred thousands of euros or whatever, right? If these some big facilities, if they shut down just for seconds, it's super expensive. And so this is where we see a lot of value already these days. Yeah, I didn't mention, so you can connect these Azure Spatial Anchors. So if you have one anchor created and you create multiple anchors in the same session, they get connected with each other, actually. And that means you can enable these kind of wayfinding scenarios, right? Guide them from anchor to anchor, if you will. And uh, yeah, like I said, a lot of uh, business value already there in the market. And like I mentioned, in a few couple of years, once we have the smaller form factors and the AR cloud is... uh, just about to begin, but I, like I mentioned, we already have solutions like ASA, Azure Spatial Anchors, and you know all of these things come together. I see a big potential here too, um, that you know these devices will just basically, um, you know, be your spatial computing devices. I, j- I just got a, a Samsung S20 here right in my hand, S20 Plus, in fact, and that has a time of flight sensor, that has a depth camera built in, and mm-hmm. with that, they, I mean, they built these depth cameras basically mainly for taking like portrait photos right so they can build build the background but um i'm just waiting for some good api access unfortunately there's not a great api access to get the depth camera data but with that i but they have an app already like a 3d scanner app and i can make a 3d scan of a real world object and can then use that for the content creation right because the challenge is of course when we're talking about that ar content and vr content is all 3d content right and so mm-hmm. these days you typically have 3d artists um, that create these 3d models and that's of course time consuming but what about if i just take a real world object that's already there scan it and have a digital copy of that real world object and then i can use that in ar or whatever uh, 3d experience and um to make it short basically what i'm saying is we see more and more these devices. You might have also heard about the new iPad Pro that also features a time of flight camera, um, these depth camera. And so we see more of these sensors coming to consumers' devices. And that's the beginning where we can see, okay, the next step is then, of course, some kind of head-mounted device where you can not just view it on your phone, but having it directly in front of your eyes. And we already have the sensors and so on. So all these things coming together in the next years. Yeah, but one of the nice projects we had at work was uh, I, I think I thought it was a perfect fit for mixed reality. Is mm-hmm. that uh, it's a company that they make stair lifts for uh, you know when old people can't get get up their own stairs anymore. You have this lift installed at the side of the stairs, and uh, what they do is now that the the salesperson puts on the Hololens and he walks through the place and he, he's able to measure. Um, so the, the the measurement accuracy of the Hololens is good enough for them to measure basically uh, how the 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 stairs rail has to be built to be able to fit into that staircase there. Mm-hmm. So they they use the Hololens for for measuring, and once you've measured it, you can also use it to visualize what is it going to look like if the stair lift is in this place, and will I be able to get past it with my groceries? And uh, I, I thought it was su- just such a perfect fit because it's it's the real world. It is something that exists in the real world. Mm-hmm. Something else is added to that in the real world, and you want to see what it looks like. And they've been able to cut down their their um, times, uh, like production times, from um, because they don't have to manually measure anymore uh, by a, a whole lot just through this process, through this application. And they, they bought like 100 HoloLenses uh, for all their salespeople. Yep, yeah, I'm, I, I know that project um, pretty well, yeah. 
I know your work at Silke, and I know that the gentlemen that worked on that. And yeah, it's a perfect use case. Uh, like, like you said, it's a real adding real value and you know improving mm-hmm. people's life. And that's what what I really love about it. And there's another really amazing project that Microsoft did. Um, they have these AI for good initiatives, and one of them, one of the apps, a part of that project group, if you will, is the Seeing AI. And mm-hmm. oh yeah, love they, that. Yeah, and that's. So maybe we should explain it for a moment to the listeners. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's an application for low vision or blind people that uses modern technology like these sensors on phones, for example, um, to guide these blind or um, low vision people with sound. So it knows where the user is, and then they use spatial sound. Like I mentioned, spatial sound enables you to hear where a sound is coming from in the in the world. And so, you know, blind people then guide it just via sound. And they just added also Azure Spatial Anchors to that for wayfinding. So, you know, someone can place these Azure Spatial Anchors along a certain route and then, you know, that it can be stored and the blind person can then scan around the initial location and then they can hear these guiding, these little, you know, sound beeps and blobs from a certain location where spatial sound and know where to go. And that's really these scenarios. What I really love is that we can, you know, build, use this modern technology to empower everyone and, you know, build solutions that help people and build these, you know, inclusive environments. And that's just amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That project It's just, uh, you, uh, it's basically, it, it's like some putting somebody next to a blind person and that somebody explains what, what's around them yet. Yeah. And, and it replaces the, the, it, it gives you more freedom uh, to do things on your own. And, and that's just wonderful when technology can do something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that stuff. And yeah, I mean, if you're a developer, since we're here at .NET podcast, if you want to get started with um, spatial computing development or mixed reality, um, definitely there's a good potential because all of that on the Microsoft platform is the UWP, is Universal Windows Platform. Mm-hmm. And you can uh, program that with C Sharp. And um, the majority that is done these days for spatial computing applications is actually using uh, either Unreal Engine or Unity Engine. And Unity is mainly still known from a lot of people from game development, uh, but Unity, you know, is being used these days in a lot of enterprise applications. In fact, if you want to do 3D content um, and 3D applications, actually Unity is great. And it also supports cross-platform, so you can create your solution for, for example, for iOS, and then you can deploy the same thing to Android or also for HoloLens. I mean, you still need to adapt a little bit. There's different... Some APIs a little bit different, but there's a AR foundation from Unity that tries to also build a kind of um, a wrapper around it, another layer on top, which you know, a kind of abstracts away the um, the device-specific APIs like ARKit, ARCore, or the Hololenses, uh, mixed reality APIs, and then you can use Unity's AR foundation on top and get the same stuff, and then you have like super cross-platform applications, and the development language is C Sharp, and so you use C Sharp basically to develop all of that, and it's just awesome. Um, of course, you can also use Xamarin, for example. There is some Xamarin stuff available. I forgot the name of that, the 3D engine for, for Xamarin. Um, maybe you know, Kerry. Skia Sharp, is, or, or was Skia Sharp the 2D engine? And there was a, a it was there was a 3D one too. Yeah. Anyway, we can we can find it out later. But there's you know there's also an option for Xamarin. 
Um, but still, Unity has a, this big benefit of having this really nice tooling around it. So you get this, you know, uh, what you see is what you get kind of style editor, where you can already try out these experiences. You have this 3D, um, you know, kind of environment where you can develop your solutions and you can do a lot of things with shaders and so on. Um, very nice visually. You can do animations visually with a time frame, with a timeline. And so there's just all these benefits you get with a, with this kind of tooling that Unity provides. And uh, if you're going like with DirectX, for example, you can of course use Direct 3D directly if you're building for the HoloLens. Um, it's mainly code, right? It's like you don't get the nice tooling around it, but that's also possible, for example, for companies that already have their own 3D engine, that already have uh, tools for PC available that use some 3D backend. They, of course, can then port that easier over if they just use Direct3D also on HoloLens. But for starters, would highly recommend looking into Unity. And the big plus, if you're a .NET C-Sharp developer, Unity's uh, programming language or scripting language is C-Sharp in comparison to Unreal, where it's C++, right? And so... Yeah, and it's not C-Sharp 2.0 anymore, so... <laughs> that's true, yeah. Yeah, it was Mono actually in the beginning, and then you know it all merged uh, when uh, you know then later on Xamarin was acquired and so on by Microsoft, and now they support uh, .NET four um, at least, and they do some fancy stuff there basically for compiling yeah. the C sharp code into uh, IL two CPP. That's what they call it. So basically, they took take the IL intermediate language and compile it to C actually. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, what you then get as an output from Unity, which you then uh, compile again in Visual Studio and deploy it to the device. Um, but they do some fancy stuff there to, you know, get most performance out of that because, you know, you always need to keep performance in mind when you deal with uh, 3D computer graphics. If it's a game or a 3D app for enterprise and so on, it's always a challenge, especially when we're talking about mobile form factors because we don't have a full dedicated NVIDIA RTX 2080 on these devices, right? They are mobile devices, so they have, of course, not your full uh, 3D computer graphics power as you have on a desktop. And so you always need to optimize, and there's a lot of things to keep in mind. Okay. Well, I just looked up uh, the Xamarin 3D toolkit. is called Urho Sharp, U-R-H-O. Uh, um, yeah, and you can use that also. That's what I was referring to exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when if people want to find out more about what you're working on or want, want to uh, work together with you, how can they reach out to you? Well, find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, my my name is Rene Schulte, so look it up on LinkedIn. On and uh, my also my Twitter handle is R S C H U. And uh, yeah, always reach out. Always happy to engage. And you know. That's fun. We're all the community, and that's what I enjoy about you know all these folks. Um, you know, getting back to the MVP summit and all of that. You know, meeting all these people that are super enthusiastic and passionate about what they're working on. And for for us, it's not just a nine to five job, right? It's our passion. It's what we live, and yeah, that's yeah. that's what I love. And you know, and always love to chat with also enthusiastic and passionate people. Great, thank you, Rene. That was really awesome. Uh, thank you, Carrie, for having me. And uh, I wish you all the best and this challenging time. Also, with the kids out of school the whole <laughs> time for weeks, it will be uh, um, fun. Uh, but anyway, we will get through it. It will all get fine. And um, yeah, take care and be safe, my friend. We will. Thank you. You too. This has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll see each other again in two weeks. Bye bye.